Matthew 24, verses 1 to 14. Um, Jesus left the temple and was going away when his disciples came to point out to him the buildings of the temple. But he answered them, You see all these, do you not? Truly, I say to you, there will not be, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. As he sat on the Mount of Olives, the disciples came to him privately, saying, Tell us, when will these things be, and what will be the sign of your coming and of the clo close of the age? And Jesus answered them, see, see that no one leads you astray, for many will come in my name, saying, I am the Christ, and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of wars and rumors of wars. See that you are not alarmed, for this must take place, but the end is not yet, to all nations, and then the end will come. For nation will rise against nation, and kingdom against kingdom, and there will be famines and earthquakes in various places. All these are but the beginning of the birth pains. Then they will deliver you up to tribulation and put you to death, and you will be hated by all nations for my name's sake. And then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness will, will be increased, the love of many will grow cold. But the one who endures to the end will be saved, and this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony. I have to say that um, over these past few days, I've bounced backwards and forwards <coughs> over whether to deal with this particular issue. Um, I guess I've, I've agonized over it. Is, is there a point at which there are events in the world taking place that are so dramatic that you stop what you've been planning to speak about and you look to address a particular issue in the light of events in the world? And I, I do think that uh, the events in Haiti are so dramatic, are so huge... Uh, I was seeing, watching a report yesterday where the United Nations uh, are saying that they believe that this is potentially the biggest crisis that they have ever had to deal with. Um, when, I guess when you reach that point of, of an event going on in this world which is of that size, it, it's sometimes, I guess when you in my situation, trying to deal with the message of the Bible... Uh, in a church situation, trying to, to, to teach what the Bible has to say to us. Um, it, it almost seems that if we don't deal with something that big, if we don't give some sort of a, an opening up of a biblical, a Christian response to something this big, there is a danger that we can create an impression of, of separating out the message of the Bible from real life, almost creating a separation. You know, we, we get on with life and we do all of the life stuff and then we come to church and we do the, we do the church stuff. Hopefully, over these past months, one of the things that we've continually been trying to work through is that the message of the Bible demands the impact of God into, day -to -day, into the day-to-day -day events of the world. And it also demands that, that the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news of Jesus Christ, is something which permeates 
all of our life's activities and thoughts and the events that we face. And therefore, the Bible must have something to say about the events that have gone on in these past uh, few days, I think. So how do we deal with it? The last time I, th- I remember feeling as if something so huge had taken place that it demanded a response was Boxing Day 2004, when a tsunami hit uh, the Indian Ocean. Uh, it just, it was on such a scale, it was on, uh, it was right over a holiday time, it was right at a point where it seemed as though that could not be ignored And I think we're there again. Isn't it interesting that the things that we can't ignore, the things that we we feel we have to respond to, are very often the things where there is great tragedy. I, I don't think it's surprising, therefore, that for many people, one of the greatest barriers in coming to terms with the message of the Bible is the idea that God could allow this kind of thing to happen in the world. In fact, I've, said, I've seen it said over the past few days. Let's try and put it into perspective. Uh, the 12th of January, there's an earthquake 15 kilometers southwest of Port-au-Prince. They're estimating at the moment maybe up to 200,000 people killed. It would be something like 360 jumbo jets in one moment in time falling out of the sky. 360 jumbo jets. One jumbo jet crashes. (laughs) Nobody's on a trip soon, I hope. I don't want to worry you or anything like that. But, you know, one jumbo jet crashes and it's world news. 360 crashing in one moment. It is something like seven times the population of Pontefract. That puts it into perspective what's gone on. The pictures in the news over these past few weeks have been quite harrowing, haven't they? It's just been, at the same time, tremendous glimmers of of wonderful hope. There was just an incredible little film of a two-year-old little girl being pulled out of the rubble, apart from being a little bit dehydrated, completely unmarked, and being reunited, sadly, with her uncle who had come to find her because her two parents had been killed in the earthquake. But, you know, in the middle of that devastation, little signs of life like that become so precious, don't they? Uh, In the New York Times on the 14th of January... Uh, Somebody wrote, if God exists, he's really got it in for Haiti. Is that a Christian response? Sadly, um, for many people, you will hear that kind of response from people who are saying that this is the Christian response. Uh, uh, Christian broadcast network, big Christian network of television broadcasters, one of their main guys, in fact, I think he is the main guy, Pat Robertson said in the past week, um, the Haitians swore a pact with the devil. This is back in 1791. The Haitians swore a pact with the devil. If you get us free of the French, 
will serve you. And therefore, because of that, that was claimed in 1791, this is God's judgment on Haiti. Now that that is being claimed as a Christian view of how to respond to these past events. I want to say it really clear, really straightforward. That is not in any shape what I see as a valid Christian response to what's gone on in Haiti. Not even close. Jesus says the right response is that we weep with those who weep. That's what Jesus says. Our response to those who are suffering hardship, difficulty, pain is not to stand aloof and condemn, but rather to to sit alongside, if you like, to emotionally engage, to be one with them, to express a, a common understanding of the plight of this world to such an extent that we weep with those who are weeping. Who, are, who find themselves in situations of tragedy. So, so the question is, how do we respond? Is, is what's gone on, hate, on in Haiti the punishment of God? If you remember just a few years ago, Papa Doc, who was the, the dictator who was in place in Haiti, uh, was deposed by Western authorities finally. Uh, was that God's judgment? Uh, and after all, uh, Jimmy Page lead guitarist with Led Zeppelin, who also swore a pact with the devil, uh, seems to be benefiting in completely the opposite direction of those who have also sworn a pact with the devil. What is our response in a situation like this? I want to turn to our reading, Matthew chapter 18. Uh, Sorry, Matthew chapter 24 absolutely critical that we understand what's going on here. God's people, in fact the disciples that Jesus is talking to at this point in time, are beginning to understand that the coming of Jesus into the world, the fact that he uh, has come into this world, is bringing hope. Uh, Now that is people who are at that point in time, who are under Roman rule, Uh, they are under the authority of the Roman Empire, They've been, they they have, terrible things have been going on uh, in in Palestine, in Judah, uh, as a result of being uh, subjugated to the Roman authorities. They've faced opposition, they've faced hardship, uh, and and they see that in the middle of all of the difficulty, pain, and suffering of life, that the coming of God into the world can bring hope. And Jesus uses just a passing conversation to open up a a completely different understanding. They're they're wandering along, it would seem, and they're going through past the temple. The temple at this point has been rebuilt by Herod the Great. It is a massive structure, huge, impressive building. Not quite one of the wonders of the world, but certainly Herod the Great, who was known uh, for his building projects, He had done a tremendous job on building uh, this temple. And the disciples turn to Jesus uh, and they point out the buildings of the temple. 
It's, it's incredible this, isn't it? And Jesus warns in that second verse, he says, you see all of these, don't you? Truly I say to you, there will not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. Jesus is, is looking forward at this point to an event that takes place in AD 70 when the Roman authorities sweep in to Jerusalem as, as, as a result of, of an attempted rebellion and just wade in with all of the might and power of the Roman Empire and destroy the temple. That is what Jesus is saying here. This, you're looking at a point where this is going to be completely overthrown. He then goes on to say, uh, to, uh, he then says, now tell us a little bit more about what is going to happen during this time. And he says to them, in verse 4, you can see it there, see that no one leads you astray. Many will come in my name saying I am the Christ and they will lead many astray. And you will hear of war wars and rumors of wars. See that you, that you are not alarmed for this must take place but the end is not yet. Uh, to all the nations, and then the end will come. Will come. I think there's. Hmm, not sure what's happening there, but uh, what Jesus is saying is quite simply this: the fact that I have come into the world, the fact that I am now present in this world, is not an indication that at this point in time suffering is going to end. That was the disciples' concern. And I guess that for us, as we look around the world today, we might be looking and saying, what is going on? And Jesus has been honest, and he said, look, this is not the fact that I've arrived, the fact that I've come into this world, doesn't mean that suffering is going to end. In fact, if we can just flick over onto the next slide... He goes on to say, nation will rise against nation and kingdom against kingdom. There will be famine and earthquakes in various places. He says, look, it's not just that there will be human strife, human against human, but there will also be, if you like, there will be a, a creation strife. There will be famine. There will be earthquakes. The coming of Jesus into this world is not going to end suffering. The establishment of his kingdom is not going to bring peace immediately. That's what he says. And he also is saying to that in, in this, uh, as we roll through it, uh, he's, he's also saying, and it won't be that if you trust in me, that you will somehow be inoculated against pain and suffering. The fact that you trust in me, the fact that you believe in me, doesn't mean as though you can hide away from it. Yes, it's going to carry on, on on a world basis, but it's also going to carry on even for those who trust in me. In fact, let me just escalate it a little bit, he says. The fact that you trust in me is going to give more reason for you to suffer. <laughs> you know, Jesus, Jesus isn't kind of winning uh, a beauty parade in terms of getting followers here, is it? This does not sound like the kind of, um, the kind of uh, advertising campaign that is going to get people to follow him. <laughs> uh, let me just tell you, 
that the world is still going to go through strife, he says. And let me tell you that if you follow me, it is more likely that you're going to be uh, in trouble. So how do we respond? If Jesus is saying that the fact that he's come into this world is not going to end the suffering, is he saying that he doesn't care about it? Well, no. Look at verse 10. We'll read from verse 10. Then many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another, and many false prophets arise and lead many astray. And because lawlessness increased, the the love of many will grow cold, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. And this gospel of the kingdom will be proclaimed throughout the whole world as a testimony. He's saying there is going to come an end. There is going to come a point at which all of this is going to be dealt with. There is an end to the suffering of humanity. There is an end at which I will deal with it. In fact, wouldn't it be a terrible thing if God was saying to us, in the light of all of this tragedy, I I just don't care, I'm just distant. I'm never going to do anything about it. It's just going to roll on, and it's going to roll on, and it's going to be bad. Jesus is saying, look, There's a period of time where it is going to carry on, but it's not always going to be like this. It's going to come to an end. And those who endure, those who follow me, those who trust in me, you're going to be saved from it, ultimately and completely. How do we respond then to this kind of suffering? I suppose one of the things that is true, isn't it, is that we see this kind of thing as pointless. We see suffering as senseless. Why does it happen? Why do do these kind of things go on? Somebody uh, very helpfully, in fact it was Robert Browning in writing in a poem, He very helpfully reminds us that actually it's the times when things are difficult, it's the times when things are hard, when we're actually caused to stop and to think, isn't it? We can go on through life, and and I guess your experience is, is as good as mine. We can go on through life, and when everything is fine and positive and everything's going well we're just enjoying it aren't we we don't stop we don't we don't think it's just great the times when we're caught up short the times when we're forced to stop and think are the times when things go wrong he put it like this i walked a mile with pleasure she chatted all the way but left me none the wiser for all she had to say. I walked a mile with sorrow, and ne'er a word said she, but oh the things I learned when sorrow walked with me. We learn more, we learn way more 
when we go through hard things. And that's one of the things that Jesus says, is we need to, he, in another point where he talks about uh, a building that fell down and people uh, who were killed in it, he says we need to just stop and ponder and think and realize that these are the opportunities for us to really think what's life all about. One of the things that has just struck me so powerfully over this past week isn't life just so fragile. Yeah, we absolutely weep with those who weep in Haiti at the moment. But doesn't it remind us that, that our life is one breath away from death? That's, that's it. That's, that's how we are. And one of the things that Jesus calls us to do is say, look, think on these things. Consider these things. Realize that your life is finite. Your life is not in your hands. Your life is not under your control. Stop and think. It's not senseless. It's as though God is saying, look, if I withdrew my hand from this world completely, it would fall into chaos. You know, one of the tragedies of these kind of events is, is it brings out the very best and the very worst in humanity, doesn't it? You look at what's going on in Haiti. On the one hand, you see a tremendous response from many people with aid going in. And that's wonderful. And we all have opportunities to give to that. And then at the same time, you see the behavior of people, human, to, human being to human being, caught in the situation, not responding with that camaraderie, but responding with... with um, self-protection and self-interest to the point where gangs of youths are wandering around the streets with machetes. You know, don't think that humanity is this kind of, this uh, filled with hope in terms of self-preservation and encouraging other and making sure that we, we all are going to get through this. We don't behave like that. When the flood hit New Orleans... And people were taken to one of the great sports stadiums uh, for, for help and, to su and support. One of the most dangerous places in New Orleans around that time was around the toilet area for women and young girls because they were in danger of being raped while they were in the sports stadium supposedly getting help. You know, tragedy does not cause the best of human nature to rise to the surface. In one sense, it does. In another sense, it exposes what we are really like. And one of the things that we've got to see here is you take God out of the equation. You take God out of the picture and humanity cannot sustain itself. We go downhill. We hate each other. We become self-interested and protective, and fight, and, and, and all of the rest of it. It's not senseless in that sense. Then it's as though God is saying, just stop for a moment and think what it would be like if I wasn't here, if I wasn't engaged, if I wasn't at least involved to some extent in, in restraining what humanity could be like. 
you look around the world at various other places which, where the political situation, you know, we might moan about our, the politics in this country, mightn't we? I, I guess we do. We might moan about this government and the, the, the opposition, and we might moan about taxes and all the rest of it. And, 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 and you know, to some extent, there might be some, that's not a political comment. <laughs> but, hey, stop a minute and think. Look around the world at other situations where the political situation is just so unstable that people are in danger. I mean, literally for their lives. We've got a lot to be thankful for in the country that we live in. That God has so granted at least a staying of what human nature can be like if it is unrestrained. If it is not controlled, if it is not held back. We think that God has not been there. But maybe part of what we see is the fact that God has been, to some extent, restraining, holding back. Secondly, we think, you know, well, this God, he must be so distant that he doesn't care. Just, if he allows this to happen, I want to just say two things to that. The first thing I want to say is this. We have to understand that one of the messages that this brings to us is that every life is limited. Every one of us one day is going to leave this earth. We're going to die unless Jesus comes again first. Every, we, we cannot preserve life indefinitely. We can't just keep it going. And one of the things that that this reminds us is that, yeah, life is going to end. But secondly, we, we cannot think of God as being distant uh, and separated when we see the way God is portrayed in the Bible. Because we don't see a God who hides himself away. We, we don't see a God who's some sort of great kind of superpower in the sky who we can't get close to, who we can't, get, who, who we can't relate to. One of the key messages of the Bible is this, that Jesus, the Son of the living God, God himself, did not hide from human suffering, but willingly and openly and without any constraint and without the implementation of the kind of power that God could bring into the situation, he gave himself over to this world and he allowed himself to be immersed in suffering. He dropped in and he, he lived a life which exposed him to every kind of pain and rejection and fear that humanity can see and then ultimately to, to die a death which is so horrific. Now, one of the messages of the Bible is that God is not distant. God has dropped into this. He's seen it. He's, been he's become a part of it. One of the things that seems so clear to me, and, and some of you will be able to relate to this, when people have been through horrific events in life, it marks them. What I mean is this. 
when you've been through a particularly devastating event, right the way through the rest of your life, it just it doesn't go away, does it? It, it doesn't go away. You, you might learn over time to, to deal with it, to cope with it, to, but it always, it affects you. It marks you. You are marked. We are marked by those dramatic events in life. It shapes the way we think. There becomes an empathy for people who are going through what you have been through. Um, One of the amazing sort of uh, sports stories of the past uh, couple of decades is the story of Lance Armstrong, which many of you will know about. Um, Incredibly talented um, international cyclist who got um, cancer, uh, life-threatening cancer. He virtually died. He's recovered from cancer. And uh, he's now back competing. But he's also, over these past few years, absolutely committed himself to doing all that he possibly can to try to help other cancer sufferers. Why? Uh, Because what he has been through has now shaped him in such a way that there is a deep, deep empathy with people who are going through the same. In fact, you know the, the, the wristbands, the yellow wristbands that was started off by the Livestrong organization, those, those bands have been adopted by, by so many other charities. That, that's the kind of impact that, that the Livestrong Foundation has had through, the, through the, the heart of Lance Armstrong to relate to people who have gone through what he has gone through. Now, do you think, do you really think that the living God coming into this world has been able to live in this world, be rejected, suffer and die, and somehow go to heaven having been resurrected uh, without any kind of empathy for the suffering of humanity. Do you think he's been somehow separated off from that experience? Or isn't it a wonderful thought to know that the God who reigns in heaven is a God who is continually marked by a remembrance of the suffering of human beings. Not as some sort of academic theory, but because he's been there. That's a great hope, I think, for everybody who goes through the most horrific suffering, whatever it might be. God isn't a God who's distant. He's a God who's immersed in the situation. And then finally, I just want to conclude by saying this. Taking God out of the equation. Imagining that God isn't there, that he doesn't care, that he isn't interested, that he's some sort of uh, cosmic uh, watchmaker who's wound up the world and set it off and it's going without his intervention, uh, or, or that he doesn't even exist at all. That doesn't solve the problem of Haiti, does it? That doesn't resolve anything, imagining that God isn't there. If we take God out of the equation, if we take God out of the picture, we truly are without hope. We truly are completely shipwrecked. There is no hope for humanity unless somehow beyond our understanding, a tragedy like this 
can somehow be handled by God in a way that you and I cannot understand. We take God out of the picture, we have no hope. In fact, there's a verse that Paul writes which, which talks about that. He says that for many, before Jesus, they were separated from God. He says this, that uh, at that time you were separated from Christ, excluded from citizenship in Israel, and foreigners to the covenants of the promise. He's saying that there was a time when people were separated off from God, and he goes on to say that you were without hope and without God in the world. He's saying there was a time when people were separated from God. And, they, and being separated from God, imagining that he's not there, brings no hope at all. But in that he's saying, but now there is hope. <laughs> and there is hope because of Jesus. There is hope because the fact that we see people dying, but with the fact that we've seen one person die and live again, means that for everyone who trusts in him, even though we die, we will live. That's the message. That's the ultimate message of hope, isn't it? That, that broken bodies who have trusted in Jesus will live again. Will live for all of eternity. That those who have trusted in Jesus as that earthquake struck, as the buildings crumbled around them, it's as though they hear a voice from Jesus saying, today you will be with me in paradise. This is momentary. This is short term. Today you'll be with me in paradise. Your life will be secure with me. I mean, what, what greater hope is there than to know that we can be secure in Jesus? There is no trite answer to kind of pluck out and say, oh, well, this has happened because of this. It's happened because the Haitians have made a pact with the devil. It's happened because God is not interested anymore. It's happened because God doesn't exist. And none of those are good enough. There has got to be something deeper. And I think the the final, ultimate, deep message is quite simply this. There are some things that happen in this world that we don't have an answer to. They're just so bad. But I know that God is sovereign. And I know that He loves. And I know that He has dropped Himself into this world to suffer in such a way that brings empathy with those who also suffer. Take away that and we've got nothing. 